0: Heights to the depths of the sea.
1: Verse 30. Now Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. That means that as we keep going along, do you see what's happening? There'll be a king, and they'll say, He did worse than all that were before him, and then another guy comes, and he did worse than all the other guys before him. And it's just like you see this escalation of evil.
0: glass everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. Asa reigned for 41 years in total. During his 41 years, there were seven different kings of Israel. Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. Each of the previous kings of Israel walked in the wicked pattern of Jeroboam. Ahab distinguished himself in being worse than Jeroboam. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he concludes chapter 16 in the book of 1 Kings, starting today in verse 15
1: of Ekron, one of the five capital cities of the Philistines, and this is the second time it's mentioned that, they, that the, the children of Israel in the north, they went against them. We saw it in 1 Kings 15, verse 27, they, they under um, the reign of Nadab, Jeroboam's son, who reigned for only two years, they went against Gibbethon uh, against the Philistines at this specific location, and now they're back at it again. But now the people who were encamped, verse sixteen, heard it, saying, "Zimri has conspired also and has killed the king." So now they come to find out that Zimri has killed the king, and is also, um, and so all Israel then at that time they made Omri, who was the commander of the army, a very. A natural fit, I guess. He was the commander of the army. The president has been shot, so they're now they're going to make the uh, you know the commander of the army uh, king over Israel. And so they did that; they made him king. And um, and then Omri, verse seventeen, and all Israel went with him. Now, notice they leave. Gibbethon, where they were fighting the the Philistines, and now they besiege Tirzah, which is the hometown of Jeroboam, and it's also the capital, if you will, at this time. and And now they're going there to kill the king. So they're leaving the real enemies of God now to go and fight an enemy within. And what a sad thing that is when we lose track of we, we got enemies within and without. And and we see the northern kingdom, do you see it just falling apart? You know, at first it split, and now the ten tribes are up there, and they're just they're just a mess. They're just a mess. And it happened, verse 18, when Zimri saw that the king. That the city was taken, that he went into the citadel, or the highest part of the king's palace, and he burned the king's house down upon himself with the fire, and he died. And notice what the scripture says. Because of the sins which he had committed in doing evil in the sight of the Lord, in walking in the way of Jeroboam. Notice again the comparison to Jeroboam. Everyone's going to compare to Jeroboam now. Just like the southern two tribes are going to be compared to who? David. Yeah. So Zimri committed suicide, and his death was justice for the evil which he had done. Verse 20, now the rest of the acts of Zimri and the treason, notice that he committed. He killed the king while he was drunk. Are they not written in the books of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? Is that book available to us? It's not. So verse 21, then the people of Israel were divided now. So now a divided kingdom, now the, the, the northern ten tribes are going to be divided again. It's it almost like it's falling, it's like falling apart. It's, so the rest of, uh, excuse me, verse 21, then the people of Israel were divided into two parts. Half of the people followed Tibni, the son of Ginnath, to make him king, and the other followed Omri, and Tibni reigned for about five, roughly five years until Omri and his people prevailed against him, assumingly killing him and his followers and taking control. Omri was a, a, uh, he was a very able leader. He wasn't a godly man by any means, but he was probably the strongest leader up to that point in the, in the, in the northern t- ten tribes. In fact, it's 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 been found on a number of archaeological fragments and things of that nature. They they at, at this time they called Israel the land of Omri. <laughs> that that's how important this guy was because he was a a strong man. He he had a, a good mind mentally. Um, he wasn't a godly man by any means, but in the thirty. Uh, in the thirty first year of Asa, king of Judah, Omri became king over Israel, and he reigned twelve years. In six years he reigned in Tirzah, and he bought the hill of Samaria from Shemer for two talents of silver. And then he built on the hill, called the name of the city, which he built Samaria, after the name of Shemer, owner of the hill. So half of his reign, he reigned from Tirzah, the capital and hometown of Jeroboam. And the other half of his reign, he reigned from this new capital now that Omri is going to establish called Samaria. And Samaria literally means a watchtower. And the reason they call it a watchtower is because it was 300 feet high and all around it you had to go up to it. So it reminds you a lot of Jerusalem, of the city of David, Zion. It was a very similar kind of thing. Because Jerusalem, wherever you go, you're going up. And so to attack Jerusalem, you've got to come up on all, this, all the different sides. And so the northern ten tribes say, you know what, we need a place like that too, that's just as impregnable as Jerusalem. We need a, a strategic location, and what better place than 300 feet on a hill where you can see your enemy come up and just throw rocks at him and, until he's tired, and then he goes away. And that's exactly what they did. They're counterfeiting everything that was happening that God had ordained in, in Judah. Now they're counterfeiting all kinds of stuff. You know, first they had you know, the, the, the two centers of worship, and now they're building this capital on a hill that makes it look like Jerusalem. They're trying so hard to kind of bring cohesion to the people who had left and are no longer going to Jerusalem, trying to give them a substitute. And that's exactly what the devil does to us, doesn't he? He's always given us substitutes. So Omri, verse 25, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And he did worse than all were who were before him. For he walked in all the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and in his sin by which he had made Israel sin, provoking, notice, the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. And, and he was, he was an able leader, able leader, and he conquered the Moabites at this time. His name is actually written on the famous Moabite stone. If you look up the Moabite stone, it's in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, in different languages. And in that stone is mentioned Omri, uh, of what he did. And you'd think that uh, to continue idolatry, treachery, and murder and intrigue would be a cause to consider your ways, but it, it doesn't for these guys. They just continue doing it. In fact, it was a Spanish philosopher and novelist and a poet, a man by the name of George Santayana. He said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And so that's exactly what he's doing. He's repeating, just continuing like a hamster in a wheel that just keeps spinning and trying to get somewhere but getting nowhere. And that's what sin does to us. The devil is always holding the carrot, and that carrot can be a job, it can be a person, it can be a whatever it may be, but he's holding the carrot, and we think we're going somewhere, and we're going nowhere. We're going nowhere. So finally we get to verse 29. I'm sorry, verse 28, let me read that. Um, Maybe back up to verse 27, actually. Now, the rest of the acts of Omri, which he did, and the might which he showed, are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? Is that book available to us anywhere? No, you know what? When you read this again, you'll know. You'll remember. <laughs> Repetition does it for me. So Omri rested with his fathers and was buried in Samaria. And then Ahab, his son, reigned in his place. And notice verse 29. In the 38th year of Asa, so king of Judah. So while A- Asa is enjoying this very long reign in Judah, in, in, in Benjamin, in the southern t- two tribes, meanwhile, there's five or six kings up here that are just dropping off like that. And, and so in the 38th year of King Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. Isn't that interesting? You know the phrase, only the good die young? <laughs> I guess in this case it was because this guy lived a long time and he's, that means he's not good. And he's, he lived a long time. He was in power for a long time. I never understood that, but God knows what he's doing. Our life is in his hands. Verse 30, Now Ahab, the son of Omri I did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. That means that as we keep going along, do you see what's happening? There'll be a king and they'll say, he did worse than all that were before him. And then another guy comes and he did worse than all the other guys before him and it's just like you see this escalation of evil and you know the hammer is going to get dropped it always does and it will as we get closer as we get to the end of second chronicles i think in second or i'm sorry second kings i think it's around chapter 17 uh i think and you know they're, they're all taken captive into Assyria because of their idolatry, because this continued. And notice how patient God is. We're talking a couple hundred years of just constant debauchery and never learning and just continuing to go uphill in their sin. And yet God, he has every right to squash them like a bug from the very beginning, but he doesn't. He gives them time. He gives them space. He gives them enough rope to hang themselves with. And I've noticed that about God sometimes, and that's scary. I don't want a lot of rope. I'm glad that he's given me a lot of rope, otherwise I'd have been hung a long time ago. I'd be hanging from a tree. He's given me a lot of rope, and I hope I never do something so dumb that I I, I neglect him, and I do something so foolish. That's why we wake up in the morning and we say, God, keep me today. That's a good prayer. Lord, keep me today. Keep me in all of your ways. Not in my ways. Keep me in your ways. Help me to follow you, Lord. Help me to stay away from the things that I know I should stay away from. Don't let me flirt with that line in the sand. Don't let me flirt with that ever again. Help me to stay clear away from everything. Flee all appearances of evil, the Bible says. So, this... Ahab. He did more evil than all who were before him. Verse 31. And it came to pass, as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took his wife, Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, whose name means Baal is alive. That sounds like a really great guy to hang out with on Christmas Day. Baal is alive. What about Jesus is alive? I got a shirt that says Jesus is alive. Not Baal. <laughs> So he married this woman, Jezebel, whose father's name is Ephbaal, king of the Sidonians, uh, up way north of Israel in, in the area of Phoenicia in Sire, Tyre and Sidon. That's who he was. And he went and noticed what uh, Ahab did. He went and he served Baal and worshipped him. He goes up there and gets this Gentile woman. From a from a very ungodly man, and he certainly had many women in Israel that were pretty and beautiful, and came from great lines, you know, great heritages, and you know, and, and they were wonderful ladies. He had his pick, but he has to go outside and do the Verboten thing and go up and and marry a, a, a Gentile woman whose dad was a devil worshipper. And then he built an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a wooden image. These were, these were symbols, and some believe they might have been phallic symbols. They were, they, were, they were poles, and they were meant to stir up the passion to worship the female goddess Ashtarah, or Asherah. She's gone by both of those names. So Ahab did more to provoke God then all the other kings, and this is why they would go into captivity. When the king of Assyria would finally come and take Israel captive, he repopulated the land with Gentiles. Yes, this area of Samaria. Now think about this, because this is going to come into our New Testament idea. So he, he would... He would take Israel captive and then he repopulated the land with Gentiles from many other Gentile cities and they dwelt there and then the Jews began to intermingle and marry with these people groups and that is why the Samaritans, the people of Samaria, were looked down upon as being half-breeds and compromised and thus debased in Jesus' time. Remember, that's why Jesus, you know, most of the Jews, when they would go from Judah to Galilee, they had to go through Samaria. And the only way to get around that is to go through the Jordan, go across the Jordan and go through an area called Perea and, and, and get away from Samaria altogether and then cross back over in the Jordan and, and enter into Galilee. They didn't even want to walk through the land because of, because of this. This is where it all happened. In fact, in Second Kings, you might want to make a note of this. It's, it's just one verse. Second Kings, chapter seventeen, verse twenty-four. Notice it tells us that this is exactly what happened. It says, "Then the king of Assyria." And, and, and again, we're going forward in history here when the northern ten tribes would be taken captive by the Assyrians in seven twenty-two B.C. It says in Second Kings seventeen twenty-four. It says this: "Then the king of Assyria." brought people from Babylon, from Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and from Sepharvaim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and dwelt in its cities. And so now fast forward a few hundred years. Several, a handful of hundred of years. And now you're in Jesus' day. And all of those cities where... The king of Assyria had moved those people into that area, all the, from from Babylon and all these other places, and all these Gentiles, and all the Jews are intermingling with them, marrying them, doing the thing that God told them not to do. And that's why the Jew would say, "I'm not going to go through Samaria because I don't want my I don't even want to be associated with these people." He thought bigotry was new. Happened back then, too. Racism. That's really what it was. Happened then. Nobody was getting canceled. They were just being judged for it. And God was doing that. Yeah, the Bible is very honest about the sins of man. And the idea is that we learn from it. Because just because it's in the Bible, I remember talking to uh, my piano teacher, many, many, many years ago, I had just gotten saved. I was so on fire for God. And I remember going to them. Uh, his, her husband taught me to play the guitar, and his, his wife taught me how to play the piano. And I would go down to their house every week, and I would take guitar and piano lessons. And I remember one time after I got saved, I came back to them, and I was telling them all this stuff. And it would, they were just looking at me going, we want the, new, we want the old Rob back. And they said, I can't believe the Bible because it has horrible things in it. And I was so, such a young believer, so excited. I'm like, and I knew that God had saved me. I, I, the Spirit of God was blazing inside of my heart. And, and I'm like, how can you say that? But it was, you know what it was like? It was like trying to tell a blind person that, that they're, you know, this is the color red. It's like telling a blind person, this is like a maroon color. It's like a reddish color. And they're like, I don't see it. I don't understand. And that's what I was trying to do. But notice verse 34. In his days, Hael of Bethel built Jericho. And he laid its foundation with Abiram, his firstborn, and with his youngest son, Sagub he set up its gates according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. Now, this is something. This is a fulfillment of a prophecy. And, you, and right in the margin of your Bible, next to verse 34, Joshua chapter 6, verse 24 through 26. And we'll end here. Because way back in Joshua, before, you know, as they were just getting into the promised land, what did, and and in fact, after they, the first city that they attacked was Jericho because they were evil people. And the only people who were saved out of that evil city was Rahab and her family because she helped the two spies, remember? But God says to wipe out everybody. And, and destroy the city. And they did. They marched around it seven times and the walls came tumbling down. Archaeological evidence supports all of that. And they burned it. And there's evidence of that. But what, what happened back in Joshua? Let me read it to you. After they come into the promised land, they marched around. The the thing fell flat. They went in and they killed everybody. That's what God wanted them to do. I know that's hard to understand. And they burnt the place. And it says, but they burned the city, verse 24, Joshua 6, verse 24. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, who I'm sure was not a harlot anymore. (laughs) Huh. <laughs> And her father's household, and all that she had, so she dwells in Israel to this day, a believer, because she hid the messengers of whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. And then Joshua charged them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city, Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with its firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up its gates. This seems to infer then that at this time this man named Hiel began began to have it in his mind and forget the prophecy. He decided he was going to build it anyway. And in the process of doing so, he loses his firstborn and his, and, his, and his youngest. In the process of trying to do that, he starts, he attempts to do it, and God judges him, fulfilling that prophecy. Hundreds of years prior, Joshua said that by the Spirit of God, and now it comes to pass. And see, God is very serious about sin. We're not so serious about sin. Our culture is not very serious about sin. But you and I, Christian, let sin be the thing that we loathe. Let it be the thing that we hate. Let it be the thing that we don't want to get caught up in again. Do you remember the days when you were just caught in its web? You were like you were like in a net and somebody was dragging you from from the ocean to the shore and you're just all tangled and messed up and you got seaweed all over you, you got fish guts all over you. And God washed you and he cleansed you. He says, now go serve me and enjoy your life and follow me and your life will be rich and full. Isn't that a glorious thing? I love that. And I pray that you do too. And may that love of God just bring us to that place where we're like, Lord, I want to I be with you. I want to abide in you. I don't want to go against you. I don't want to fall away from you ever. I don't want to turn away from you ever again, Lord. Help me, Lord, please. May that be our prayer. Let's stand and let's pray. Lord, we thank you. For the warnings, Lord, even though it's hard, Lord, as we read this, no doubt we're not we're not even done yet. <laughs> but, Lord, it, it can be discouraging to see, Lord, man at his very best. And it, man at his best is man at his... He's a man as... He's just a man. Man and woman, it doesn't matter. Lord, teach us from your word. Teach us these things. Help us to walk with you. And help us to shun sin, to turn away from it, Lord, to hate it like you hate it. And Lord, teach us, help us to be different than what we read here tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of First Kings.